So yeah, uh, uh, as was already stated, I'm David. Uh, if I haven't met you, uh, it'd be cool to meet you. Um, I am seeing quite a few familiar faces. Um, so uh, yeah, I'm actually going to just start by praying. Is that okay with everybody? Awesome. Um, Lord, uh, yeah, God, this psalm actually just feels really near and dear to my heart. Um, the, what David was going through in the psalm, God, I, uh, God, I want to uh, enter into that with him. And God, I, I hope that we can all uh, enter into that with David, the psalmist, and, and just really connect with uh, this book, this psalm, this song, about crying out to you, God, about um, being desperate, uh, God, to hear from your voice. Um, God, I want that for myself. I want that for each person in this room. And so, Father, I entrust this work to you. As we just sang, Lord, uh, we, we pray that you'd establish this work, uh, God, that this, this work of the labor in your word, that it wouldn't fall on deaf ears, it wouldn't come from, uh, uh, from, from a person who is not worshipful in his attitude. God, give me a worshipful heart uh, as, I, as I preach this sermon uh, and speak to your people. pray this in Jesus' name. So I, I got a little bit of a weird uh, introduction for you. How, how many of you are, have heard of like what's going on with AI right now, artificial intelligence? Is that, you've heard a little bit about that? It's kind of scary, like it's a little bit scary, right? Um, so I'm a, I'm a software developer, so I, ha I have to hear about it a lot. You know, it's a conversation that we're, we're constantly having. Um, and actually, funny enough, there, there, I read the story recently, there was actually a, a software developer who, um, uh, he actually tried to convince a, uh, 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 have you guys heard of ChatGPT specifically? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he, he, he tried to convince ChatGPT to convince him to get hooked on running, like running physically, you know? And it's like, and he's like, it's not going to work. It's not going to work, right? Um, so anyways, uh, he, he, he's like, this isn't going to work. But the first thing it actually tells him to do is it's just like, hey, don't even run. Just like get your running shoes and put them up by the front door. And just set them there and leave them there. And then uh, he's like, okay, whatever, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll do it. So he puts them by the front door, and uh, it's a couple days, and he's, he's like, what am I going to do? What am I supposed to, you know, he gets these instructions, he's supposed to wait. And then the next thing is, oh, uh, just go run for like 10 minutes, you know. And uh, it, th this, this progresses, and it tells him actually, take, take, a, take a couple days off after you run for 10 minutes. And so that it, it's funny, it's like, it's, so not only is this uh, predictive language model, you know, utilizing, uh, you know, just data, uh, but it's also actually utilizing psychology to try to instruct this guy to kind of get him hooked and weaned on running. And uh, he ends up uh, getting hooked on running. He ends up just like becoming a runner. Now his, like one of his main like forms of exercise, he just runs. And so he wrote the story about it and it's just kind of funny, uh, but uh, the inverse can also be true uh, with human nature. It can actually just take like one lie, one, one, one little, uh, you know, someone whispers in our ear, we, we hear something or we're discouraged about something and, and, and that one thing can kind of spiral. And next thing you know it, we're, maybe we take a couple breaks from the lie and then we come back to it and we're, we're kind of stuck on it again. Next thing you know, it's kind of spiraling out of control and now we're just, we're kind of just in a complacent place or a dead place where we're not walking with the Lord and uh, what seemed like, oh, that's never going to happen. I'm, I'm never actually going to be convinced in that regard uh, becomes this thing where actually we're, we're kind of entrenched in it. And so today we're actually going to use um, uh, Psalm uh, 55, 
just to uh, look at the tactics of the enemy. So uh, when, you, when you read the first, uh, particularly the first eight verses of the psalm, uh, you, you see that he act, there's a progression that takes place. So David's coming to the Lord. He's, he's, he's prayerful. He's asking God for help. And what you see is the, the thing that, that kicks it off is the voice of the enemy speaks. And uh, the next thing you know, uh, okay, the voice of the enemy has spoken. I'm, I'm, I'm hearing that. Okay, well, now he's overwhelmed. Now, now he's feeling all sorts of things. He's, he's feeling, like, uh, burdened, and he doesn't know what to do. And then it continues to progress, and now he's like, you know what? I don't want to deal with this anymore. I'm just going to run away. I'm actually just going to make my escape and get out of here. And so uh, it's, it's kind of a scary progression, but I think it's one that we can all relate to, right? Because whether or not we've literally run away from a situation, like, I don't know if you guys know about, or uh, God forbid, this has happened to one of your kids, but there's like a stereotypical thing where kids will be like, I want to run away from home. You know, like they run into some problem, like, I want to run away from home. And it's, it's silly uh, from our perspective, but man, it's, it's uh, and it's even like, I, I can even remember having silly thoughts like that as a teenager and, and just like being frustrated with something. It made no sense. But I had come up with some lie in my head or I had been frustrated with something and I just wanted to get out of the situation, right? I don't want to deal with this problem. Well, man, that is not God's heart for us, right? That is not the, the voice of the Lord when he speaks. That is not where his voice leads us. It doesn't, it never leads us to running away uh, it never leads us to feeling overwhelmed by horror and fear and death. The voice of the Lord speaks, and he says, draw nigh. He says, draw nigh to me. Come and learn of me, and I will give you rest for your soul. So we're going to get into it today. We're, we're actually just going to start by uh, reading the first three verses. So some, a couple funny words in here. Uh, I don't know if you, you guys ever read some of those Bible verses. They just have like a lot of funny words in them. Like there's that one in James where it's like, superfluity of naughtiness. And you're like, okay, God, that's cool. Thanks for the new vocab words. That was awesome. So we got a few here. So the, fir the first verse, it talks about, uh, uh, it says, the chief, the chief musician on Neganoth. Sounds like something from Lord of the Rings, uh, which we'll actually talk about later, ironically. Um, <laughs> uh, it says masculine, right? And you guys are familiar uh, with the masculines, and we'll briefly touch on that in a second. Uh, a Psalm of David. So this, uh, this is specifically about something also that's going on in David's life. It's a true story. There's a true story behind what's happening in this psalm. Um, and he says, Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not thyself from my supplication. I think uh, chat GPT's in the room. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it says, uh, give, give ear to my prayer, O God. And um, he says, Attend unto me. Hear me. I mourn in my complaint and make a noise. So I do want to emphasize that part there. You know, David isn't just casually coming to the Lord. He's not just throwing up a prayer. He's really feeling a lot of pain right now, and he's actually audibly making groaning sounds. I don't know if you guys have uh, read Romans 8, where it talks about the Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings, right? And it's like, whoa, that's what David's actually doing right now. He's in so much pain. He's groaning. Something is so painful for him. It says, because of the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they cast iniquity upon me, and in wrath they hate me. Um, and so, uh, I'm going to give you a quick uh, history into this psalm before we jump in. So, 
First of all, a psalm, we know, is an instrumental piece of music. I think a lot of people in this room will be familiar with that. Um, a masculine specifically, uh, again, many of you familiar with this, but is a subgrouping of the psalms meant to give instruction as to how we could walk wisely or circumspectly. So things that are meant to actually instruct how we can actually approach day-to-day life, right? And for us to stop and consider the words of these psalms should, should help to instruct us as to how we ought to walk as Christians, how we ought to walk out our faith, right? And so verses 1 through 2, uh, David uh, makes prayer and supplication, and I want to just touch on those words real quick. Prayer is literally just a request. I mean, if you, if you look at all of the mentions in Scripture of it, he, it's actually, it's not even always just to God. In fact, it's kind of funny. The first few mentions are actually from people to people, and sometimes the requests are bad. Like, hey, pretend to be my sister. Like, weird stuff. Like, if you guys know what story I'm talking about, I'm probably not going to go into it, right? Like, and so the first mentions are actually kind of negative in context, ironically, and you get to supplication, and those are actually a form of request. Uh, just for fun and interesting, Saul is the first mention of supplication. He's like, I didn't make supplication. I just went before the Lord and made a burnt offering. Like, whoa, buddy. Like, that's not your role, Saul. <laughs> like, know your role, right? Like, I got to know my role. Like, I, I got to know what God has told me I can do and what I can't do, and I got to stick to that. Um, but supplications are interesting because they're a spe- specific kind of request. They're an earnest and hungry request. They're a broken request, and uh, it's really a request for grace, for favor, and for pity. It's like, God, have pity on me. It's, it's, it, there's there's a, an urgency to it. And in Scripture, supplications are often accompanied with phrases related to crying out to God, with mourning, with tears, with audible sounds. So, in other words, supplication isn't just, oh, again, I just threw up my prayer to God. You know, I, I had my chat with God this morning. No, like, supplications are like, you're desperate, <laughs> You're like, man, I know I need you right now, God. I desperately need you for this situation. And what's funny about that is, on, in one, in, on one hand, we don't want to, like, always be in a state of, like, despair, right? We don't want to always be like, ah, I need you, God. Ah, blah, blah, blah. Like, that's ridiculous, right? But at the same time, we often convince ourselves that we don't need God. And we kind of just go through our day, and we're not willing to make a noise. We, we're not desperate about the soul of our neighbor or the financial problem that we're facing, the problem that our, our child may be facing, we need to get desperate. We need to make a noise. And it's interesting that the enemy makes a noise, right? The voice of the enemy speaks. And we have to decide, are, are we going to let that voice be louder than, than our cry to God, louder than, the, than the, the, the word of God being spoken into our own hearts, right? What's, what's going what's gonna to take up the space in our head? What's going to take up the space in our heart? Is it going to be, man, is it going to be God's word or is it going to be the enemy? And so when, when David introduces the psalm as being a prayer, uh, the first thing we, we see him doing is mourning and complaining. Uh, specifically, uh, he's, he's talking about the voice of the enemy. And uh, we're, we're actually not going to uh, be able to get into every verse of the psalm today, but um, if you were to read the whole psalm, you're going to see a pattern of sound. So you're going to see things like voices, noises, tongues, sounds, calling out, crying out. There are spoken words. Um, so there's also counsel that's being given, and this counsel is actually evil. Um, so we see all kinds of audible communication taking place in the psalm. And so, specifically, uh, it's interesting, too, what, what are psalms, right? They're, they're actually uh, kind of just about us communicating with God, right? 
And so that's why in so many of the Psalms, you actually do see David say things like, I'm crying out to you, God. I'm, I praise you. I worship you. It's not this concept in his head. He's actually praising. He's actually calling out to God. He's actually writing down his thoughts and communicating to God. And that's part of why it's such a wonderful book, right? It's right in the middle of the Bible. It's in the, the, the heart of the Bible. And you get to see that God's heart is for us to connect with him, to communicate with him, right? He, he wants us to have a relationship with him. But again, the, the enemy wants to speak too. And so in verse 3, we're, we actually see a, a couple different ways uh, that the enemy is impacting David with his voice. So it says, Because of the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they cast iniquity upon me, and in wrath they hate me. So we see the communication of the enemy is uh, the casting of iniquity. And we see that it is sourced in hatred that is being expressed in wrath. It's a, it's, it's a hot displeasure, a hatred for David. It's opposition toward David. And we'll actually just break that down real quick. Casting is, it's actually talking about causing something to appear on another surface. So it's like something's actually not there, but we see the, the, the image of that reflected onto another surface, Right? And it, it, the Hebrew word there can also be translated move, fall, or step. And so it's interesting. It gives us insight. The enemy's trying to get us to move away from somewhere that we should be. He's trying to get us to fall. He's trying to get us to slip up. And uh, iniquity is similar to the word sin. Um, it, it also has to do with, the, uh, with, with sorrow and mourning, actually. It's also translated sorrow and mourning. And so what was the enemy trying to do? The, the, the enemy was trying to cast sin and sorrow upon David, right? And we talked about this earlier, but this isn't an end to itself. It's not like the enemy's just like, I got you sad today. That's all I needed. Like, well, yeah, maybe that's all he needed today. But, like, he's trying to take you somewhere you don't want to go, right? And so, man. And so hatred expressed in wrath. To hate is, is to oppose or to be against. So obviously, if you're an enemy, you're against someone, right? You're against something. You're an enemy of something. And wrath speaks to, again, great displeasure. And so, man, the enemy is against us. And I think we get that by the word enemy, but I think we sometimes, at least myself, we can struggle to believe that the enemy's actually there and that he's actually speaking, that he's actually trying to tear us down. And additionally, he does speak of the oppression of the wicked. Um, oppression can literally mean to pressure or to crush. And here, the, the wicked refer to those who are guilty and hostile towards God, and in this case, David. So when we piece this all together, okay, what is the enemy doing? What is the enemy wanting to do, and why, and this and that? Okay, the, the enemy is opposed to David. He, he's, he has a, uh, a tangible anger and hatred for David. And he, he wants to accuse him of transgressing God's law. And he wants to bring him into mourning and sorrow, to pressure him and to crush him. And we'll see, he's trying to get him to, to, to have some kind of negative response. Okay, so now how do we relate this to our situation? So that, by the way, that's, this is all pretty heavy, isn't it? It's like, hey, uh, David, you want to come and, and preach on Mother's Day? We'll, we'll talk about oppression and, and lies and deceit and... Uh, it gets even worse soon, guys. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so, what, what's the enemy that we 
today. So a lot of you are familiar with this phrase. I actually wasn't, I couldn't think off the top of my head, where's that phrase at? So I looked it up, the accuser of the brethren, right? Gives this, it gives this really vivid description of Satan in Revelation 12. It calls him that old dragon, the serpent. He's the same serpent you see in Genesis chapter 3, lying, deceiving, trying to bring Eve to a place of death, right? Um, and that's where that phrase comes from. He's the accuser of the brethren. And this is amazing. It says that he just does this day and night. That he's just going to, just like Jesus is continually our advocate, Satan is continually our enemy. He's continually our adversary, and he's constantly uh, trying to say, do you see what he did there? Do you see what he did there? That was wrong. That was wrong. Are you sure he's, are you sure he's still good? Are you sure you're still going to protect that guy? Anything he can do to destroy us, right? And Peter describes Satan as a roaring lion that's just wandering about looking for prey. He's like, Who's going to slip up today? Who can, I, who can I lie to today? Who can I get to slip up today? And in John 10, Jesus says, uh, The thief cometh not, but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And so we, we, we're, we know what Satan's agenda is, right? He's just trying to, to steal, he's trying to kill, and he's trying to destroy. Okay, so the devices of the enemy were to cast iniquity upon David and oppress him in hateful wrath. But what's interesting is when we look at these different phrases and these different things, these are actually things that Jesus Christ has got us covered on, right? So let's look at it. So casting of iniquity. Well, if we look at Isaiah 53, verse 5, what does it say? It says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Okay, so wait a second here. So, you're saying, I'm, I'm a sinner, and I'm defined by my sin, and the weight of sin is upon me. But what the Bible's saying here is, Jesus Christ was actually bruised for me so that I could be healed. That he took that on himself. And, and in 1 Peter 2, we see it really explicitly stated, in Jesus' own uh, self and his own body, bear our sins in his own body on the tree. That we, being dead to sins now should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. And 2 Corinthians 5.21, it's an incredible verse, right? It's, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so it wasn't a, an accusation. It wasn't you did something wrong. You know what it was? It was he, acu he accused himself, in a sense. He said, actually, no, you know, uh, I'm going to pick on my mom just because it's Mother's Day, even though it's in a weird context. It wasn't Tina. It wasn't, it wasn't David who did that. It was actually me. I, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the one who will take that, that, that accusation. I will bear that accusation. I will take that to the cross. And then uh, hatred expressed in wrath is what the enemy has for us. But in Isaiah 53, again, 10 through 11, it says, uh, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It's talking about Jesus. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. Mm. Man. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Christ bore that for you. He doesn't want you to endure that. He took it to the cross because he doesn't want you suffering every day. Right. Romans 5, 9. Much more than being now justified by his blood, 
we shall be saved from wrath through him. We are, we are saved from the wrath of God through Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, for, for God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see that God's no longer about, we're not, the wrath of God is not on us. If you look at John chapter 3, the wrath of God abides on those who have not received Jesus Christ. The wrath of God does not abide on those who have received Jesus Christ. And what do we have now? We have the comforter. So what is God actually trying to do in us? He's trying to comfort us. He's trying to, to bring us in alignment with our standing with him. He says, your penalty of sin is paid for. Let's get you closer to that. Let's get you walking closer to the reality of who you actually are in Jesus Christ. So for application, how do we, how do we discern the voice of the enemy? How do we distinguish it? Uh, this is not on the slides. I'm going to briefly go through this, but I think it's one of the great uh, passages in Scripture so that we can help distinguish this. Second uh, uh, Corinthians uh, seven ten through eleven. I just want to read it out loud for you to hear it. Uh, it says, "For godly sorrow worketh or produces works towards repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death." So we see the difference right away. Okay, so is this voice leading me towards repentance that I will be happy that I that I engaged in, or is this actually leading me towards death? Is this leading me towards more sin? Is this guilt, is this sorrow that I'm feeling just leading me to more sin? Verse 11, For behold the selfsame thing, that ye sorrowed after a godly sword. And what does it bring about in you? Carefulness, clearing of yourselves, indignation, fear, vehement desire, zeal, revenge. Now, when I first read this verse, when I think about this verse, I I look at it and I'm like, these are a bunch of big phrases and words and they all sound kind of scary. I don't know if I want to work towards those things, but... But if you actually stop and study out what each of these words or phrases means, it's actually really encouraging. <laughs> so I want to read, the, uh, I want to just briefly exposit this, this verse real quick. So carefulness, this is actually not talking about the carefulness in Philippians 4 that says, be careful for nothing. What it's actually talking about is diligence. It's talking about uh, a diligent spirit that becomes earnest not to continue in sin that grace would simply abound. So it's like, no, I really want to make this right with you, Lord. I really care. I, I, I really care about you, God. I, I saw what you did for me on the cross. I, I know your heart for me, and I don't want to just take that for granted. I actually want to come to you. And so a clearing of oneself. This is uh, kind of interesting, too. It's not about being defensive, but it is about having a biblical defense. So it's not about, oh, I actually was doing the, no, you own sin. But now you're saying, but I searched God's word out, and I, I saw his promises, and I know what he said. And now I'm going to move forward because I, I have a defense. My defense is Jesus Christ. Indignation means being very displeased. It means coming to see the sin the way that God does. And saying, no, I, I actually, God calls that, so we say, you know, the, I always think about the Matthew passage when I'm talking with people. It's like, uh, oh, you know, I just looked on that woman with lust. I just uh, didn't clock in in time. Or, what are, you know, wait a second. No, that's adultery. That's theft, right? So we've got to call it what God's calling it. And so we have to hate it the way that God hates it. Fear. So again, this is not talking about uh, fear in the sense of, uh, you know, torment. Like 1 John 4.18 talks about it. It says, perfect love casteth out fear because fear hath torment. Because it's not really about us fearing for our own torment. We fear God because he suffered that torment for us. And we don't want other people to have to bear that torment. Right? So we we actually get the right heart, and we fear God for who he is. He's not just just. He's also loving and merciful. He's both, right? 
vehement desire, it causes us to earnestly desire to get right with God no matter what it takes. No excuses. Uh, I gotta do this. I gotta get right with God. I'm desperate to get right with God on this. Zeal. It's an excitement of mind. It, it wakes us up. It brings us out of paralysis. It brings us back to life. It makes us actively desirous to be a part of God's mission. Revenge. Man, God, God is the one who will avenge, right? God is the one who brings about revenge. But for us, we want to make sure that we make, we want, we make right what went wrong. But we want to do that in a way that we're trusting the Lord. And so uh, we're not trying to, you know, self-justify. We want to make sure that, man, if I, if I didn't value that person before, I want to make sure I value that person now, right? If I, if I didn't take God's word seriously before, I want to get that right. Do you see what I'm saying? So it's about, it's about actually repenting. It's about turning from the sin and unto the living God. But I do want to note that, you know, godly sorrow still involves sorrow. So, you know, having sorrow in and of itself is not evil. Jesus was a man of sorrows. So we will endure sorrow and trial and tribulations in this life. But we want to we we make sure that the voice that's leading us there is actually God's voice. Is actually a voice that's saying, no, this, is, this was wrong. I have something better for you. I'm trying to restore you. I'm trying to use you. I'm trying to redeem you. I want to be close to you. Come to me, right? God is completely invested in our sanctification and restoration. It it cost him the life of his son to win us, and we're now his children. And so, man, he's going to do everything that it takes to keep us. I have one more verse for you on this subject that is also not in the slides, but it was just so good. I was reading it this morning. It's the next psalm, actually, and it ends with this. It says, For thou hast delivered my soul from death. Wilt thou not deliver my feet from falling? that I may walk before God in the light of the living? I mean, if, wait, so, again, if it cost God his son, Jesus Christ, to save you, why won't he help you out of your circumstance right now? It, it just doesn't make any sense. He saved you from eternal damnation, right? And so let's look at the key point. It's really simple. We just got to get this down, that the enemy wants you to get your eyes on sin and self. He's saying, don't remember, no, don't think about the gospel. Don't think about the blood of Christ. Look at your sin. Look at what you're doing wrong. Look at yourself. Right? All right. So we, the, the key point on, on verse 3 is the enemy wants you to get your eyes on sin and self. But we're going to pivot towards verses 4 and 5 now, where it says, My heart is sore pained within me. The terrors of death are fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling are come upon me. And horror hath overwhelmed me. Okay, so David was the king of Israel at this time, and he had a whole bunch of responsibilities, right? He was God's chosen man for the job. And so, again, we we talked about this earlier, but the enemy's voice wasn't just, hey, David, feel bad for a little bit, and then then I'm happy. But (laughs) he was like, no, actually, uh, you're king of Israel. If I can take you down, we're good. Like, I, I, I got the king, you know? And specifically, the enemy, and if you look at the history of this psalm, there's, there's a lot going on there. We'll see how much of it we can get into. But um, the, enemy, the enemy was actually trying to cause David to fear for his life so that he would become weak, fearful, and vulnerable to attack. And this was ultimately to render him powerless and ineffectual as the king of Israel 
so that another uh, man could overthrow him. Okay, that's, that's kind of the, the simplification of the backstory of the psalm is, you know, uh, and this is funny too, David actually sends that, that famous, infamous rather, story about David and Bathsheba. Okay, so, and, and it's funny, David has all this condemnation in his heart towards the man in the story that Nathan tells. Nathan tells him, so there's this story about this guy who does these bad things, you know, he painting the picture of David sleeping with another man's wife and ordering that man to be killed. Right? And then David hears this story, and he, he, he's kind of dense. He doesn't see himself in the story, and he's like, let's put that man to death. <laughs> right? It's, it's insane. It's, 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 it's a vivid picture of hypocrisy that I'm sure any of us could relate to at some point in our life, where we had hatred towards somebody where we look at it and we're like, but I'm guilty. I'm guilty. How can I hate another person when I'm a sinner? You know, and, and we think about Jesus on the cross, right? He was the only one who could have said, no, it was you, Right? You're the only, you're the bad guy, you know? But what did he do? He said, no, it was me. He said, I got this. I, I'm going to actually take your sins with me to the cross. It's crazy. It's, it's amazing what God did for us. But let's think about this. The enemy's kind of speak, chattering into David's ear because they're trying to make him weak and fearful. How many, how many of you have, you, have, here, have you have seen this movie here, right? The Two Towers? Has, has pretty much everyone seen this one? Yeah. It, oh, man, it's, it's like a classic. I mean, it, I, can we say that now? It's like early 2000s. Is, is, it, is it? Are we there? Can we say it? I think, I think so. It's like one of the best fantasy movies, right? Like these, this trilogy. So one of the many memorable things, of course, is, the, is this King Theoden and Grima Wormtongue, right? And uh, we look at King Theoden, and like they did a great job with the makeup. I mean, he looks like he's like actively dying. I, I, you know, like... It looks like the energy has just been sucked out of him, and he's operating at 3% capacity. And he's just like, he's kind of just like, uh, you know? And uh, he's like a shell of his former self. You see this, like, weird uh, window into what he may, could be, maybe could be, but it, even that's hard to discern because he's just so broken looking. And what's happening is Wormtongue is whispering into the king's ear, and he's speaking lies into his ear to ultimately make him ineffectual. He can't do anything because he's just so paralyzed with whatever he's feeling, whatever state that he's in. Eventually, Aragorn and his men arrive, and, you know, they're wanting to bring hope to the kingdom of Rohan, and, but every time, you know, they're saying something good, he's like, no, actually, that's not true. It's like, it doesn't have to be clever. He's like, that's a lie. <laughs> it's like, that's all he had to say, right? And the, and the guy's just like, okay, you know, and, um, Funny enough, that's actually kind of the state David found himself in in Psalm 55. He was hearing word about a rebellion taking place with his own son Absalom and his former acquaintance and companion Ahithophel. And uh, it's funny, that guy, that former acquaintance and, and counselor, you know, he actually used to counsel David for war and for matters of, of rulership. And he was act it actually says, we went to the house of God together. We, we, uh, we took sweet counsel together. And now, guess what? This guy, is, this guy actually says, hey, hey, uh, David's son, Absalom, go on top of the rooftops of Jerusalem and sleep with David's concubines to shame him. And then he says, after that, he says, hey, uh, Absalom, let, let's actually uh, siphon David off. Let's get him, you know, thinking too much in his head. Let's get him out over here. We'll send 12,000 men. We'll, we'll take him out. So this is a guy that he used to spend time with and go to church with. You see what I'm saying? It's like crazy. Like, what the heck? And so... In verses 4 through 5, you know, this is, this is a close betrayal. This is a, a brutal uh, set of 
whisperings that he's hearing. These are things that really hurt. And so he explains it this way. His heart was pained within him. The terrors of death are fallen upon him. Fearfulness, trembling, horror. And yet at the end of the psalm, we actually see David making several declarations of faith. Uh, in verses 16 through 17, he says things like, uh, I, will, I will call upon God and pray. God will hear my voice and will save me. In verse 22, he says, you know, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain thee. He never suffers the righteous to be moved. He starts saying all these things. And so we see that there's also a progression taking place in David's life behind the scenes in the psalm. He's, he's, he's saying, I hear the lies, but I'm actually also hearing God's truth. I'm actually remembering who God is. And somewhere within himself, he's, he's going to get to a place eventually in the psalm where he's resolved and he's determined. He's like, no matter what lie you tell me next, I know who God is. I know what God did. And I know, where the, I know what the plans that God actually has for me. And we sing about it. It's not actually to harm me, right? God, the, the, son, the Son of God came not to, to, to kill, destroy, and these things. No, he came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. He came so, so that we can actually be a part of his kingdom that actually is going to prevail, right? And so it was, it was actually the same thing for King Theoden. Uh, you guys are probably like tired of seeing that image at this point. But basically what happens is Gandalf, which we can inspirationally say pictures Jesus Christ or the word of God just for fun. Okay, he comes, uh, he, he, he comes in there and he's like, ha ha, one thing. And then he's also like, words, good words, you know. And he's like, speak, he's, he's saying and doing cool stuff. But basically what that represents for us is truth. It represents for us light, the entrance of God. God's word brings light when we're in darkness. It helps us to actually see straight and think straight. And all of a sudden, this guy wakes up and he's like, whoa. And he's like, he's just king again. He's just doing what God called him to do again. It's, it's amazing. And this is the same situation David was in. And this is the same thing for us, right? Wait a second. I'm actually a child of God. Wait a second. Like, I'm actually, uh, God has given me authority to stand on his word and to disseminate his word, to spread his word, to spread the gospel, to tell my testimony. The accuser of the brethren comes, how do they overcome? By the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They just say, no, I know what God has done before. I'm going to stand on that. I have an Ebenezer. I have a set of stones in my life. I, I, I actually remember what God did. And I'm not going to forget that. You, you maybe tricked me once, but don't fool me twice. But however the saying goes, you know. <laughs> I don't, apparently I didn't listen to the saying. And, and we see the same tactic uh, d d employed by the, the enemy in the wilderness, right? So, so Satan comes to Jesus multiple times, and what does Jesus do? Wait a second. I know what God's promises are. I actually have a verse for that. I actually know what God has declared. And so if we were to look at these verses and, and just walk through them, my heart is sore pained within me. Well, whatever you're going through, 1 John 3.20 says, For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart. And knoweth all things. I may not feel saved. I may not feel righteous. I may not feel good. But I know that God's good. Right? I know that I'm saved. Because I believed on the name of the Son of God. Right? Romans 6, 17 through 18. We were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that doctrine, that gospel message. And now, you're no longer a sinner. Your identity is you are a servant of righteousness. Right? That's your new identity in Christ. The terrors of death have, are fallen on me. Well, there is no fear in love, because perfect love casteth out fear. 
Jesus Christ bore your penalty, so you didn't have to fear torment, right? Fearfulness and trembling are come upon me. Well, actually, Philippians 2 says, I am to fear and tremble to work out my salvation. Well, the context then is that the fear and trembling that are rendered to God in my position are rendered from a position of security. So I'm actually already secure in Christ. I'm fearing and I'm trembling before God because I'm his. Because I want to work that salvation out of me and into my walk. Right? Horror hath overwhelmed me. But God didn't give me that spirit. God gave me a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. And so whatever situation you're going through, you know, plug in your situation, we need to find some Bible verses that we can just hide in our heart and say, but that's not what God said. Maybe I'm even deceiving myself. The heart is deceitfully wicked. I need to know what God has said, and I need to stand on that. And so the key point for this section is overwhelm the enemy's lies with God's effectual promises. By the way, 1 Thessalonians 2, those promises are effective. They're working in those that believe. What if I don't believe? Well, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Maybe you need some reps. Keep opening up the word. Let God give you some faith. And then believe in his word, and it will start working. Right? And then finally, uh, you know, in this psalm, after we, we, we say, I'm going to overwhelm the enemy's lies with God's effectual promises— Okay, well, that, that's good, but I'm still in the middle of it, right? David's like, I'm still in the middle of it, though, and I'm still feeling icky, if I can use a silly word, <laughs> right? Okay, what, uh, let's read verses 6 through 8 to get the, to get the picture. And he says, Oh, that I had wings like a dove, for then would I fly away and be at rest. Lo, then would I wander off and remain in the wilderness. I would haste, uh, Selah, I was supposed to stop and... Supposed to consider for a few minutes here. You got, I'm going to check my watch. Okay. All right, we can continue. I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and tempest. Okay. So now David's pain and fear, the lies of the enemy, led to pain and fear and trembling and horror, and now he just wants to run away. Right? And actually, in the story in 2 Samuel, he actually does go to the wilderness. Right? Um, and so, you know, then... Ahithophel's licking his chops, and he's like, all right, David's weak and fearful. Let's get those men on him. Let's kill him. He's out there. He's feeling like he's on his own. He's at his weakest. Let's kill him now. And this is the end game we need to be aware of. Uh, Again, the enemy doesn't just want to make us feel bad. He actually wants to cut off our life. He wants to render us useless in the spiritual battle that we are fighting. David's calling was king of Israel. What's your calling? Maybe your calling is just to share the gospel with your neighbor your co-workers, to be a mother, to be a father, all these things, right? We all have different things that God has entrusted us with to steward. Whatever he's given you, that's your calling, right? These are the things that are your calling. Uh, discipleship, right? Man, I know I'm called to discipleship right now. I know I'm called to LFBI right now, whatever it is, right? Well, okay, the, the enemy doesn't want that to work for you. He wants it to look like it's just not working. He wants you completely paralyzed, off the radar, fruitless in your labor in the Lord. And whatever traction you have in Christ for the furtherance of the gospel, he's trying to get you distracted and discouraged from that. Like, get off that track. We got other, I got other lies for you. I'm green my worm tongue. <laughs> so, Satan wasn't able to end David's life. Actually, Nathan actually says that he wouldn't die, and he prophesies that. 
it's similar for us. We know we're not going to die. We, we know we have eternal life. We know the end of the story. And yet, we can still be in a position where we're completely without fruit, right? We can still be in a position where we're not being actively used for God's kingdom. And the way that Satan can get there, one of the ways he can get us there, is, uh, man, we don't reckon ourselves dead to sin. We hear the lies of the enemy. We kind of, we, we chew on that a little bit too much. We start to get fearful and overwhelmed. The next thing you know, we're running away from everything great that God's been doing in our lives. So let's look at uh, each verse to close. So, or each uh, phrase he says. So he says, oh, that I had wings like a dove. You know, it's funny the, the dove pictures the Holy Spirit in scripture. He's like, oh, that if I were like God, but without God. Oh, if I could just get to God's end my way. No, you need the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, like for us, we need the Holy Spirit to comfort us. We need the Holy Spirit to guide us. We don't need to make up our own solution and run away. We need God's solution. And, he, and also, too, he's, he's wishing for circumstances to just be different. Oh, if it were just different. If I, if I just had a different job, if I just had a different friend or, or family member or whatever it may be, then all my problems would go away. He says, for them would I fly away. You know, the, the, the weight of sin wants us to run away from God. Adam and Eve, you know, Eve's deceived by Satan and Adam sins and they hide from God. And yet what does God do? Remember, he's calling out. He's like, come back. He's like, hey. He, he asks a question he already knows the answer to because he's like, hey, are you there? Hello? I, I love you. Come back to me. I, I want to help you. You fell, but I'm here to pick you back up. And it uh, talks about uh, rest, you know. We want to find rest. Oh, if I could just get some more sleep today. I just need a little more sleep. I need a little, need a little uh, Netflix or whatever it is that you like. That's what I need. I just need some more physical rest. That's all I really need. But Jesus says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's funny. We're striving for something. Jesus is just handing out. He's like, here you go. Rest. You want some? <laughs> we're like, oh, 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 oh. And he's like, it's like we're just running in place right next to him. He's like, it's like, come on. I'm right here. Just grab the rest. Okay. Then would I wander far off? Satan's like, hey, get out of the house of God. Wander off into the wilderness where no one can help you or encourage you. That would be good, wouldn't it? And we're like, yeah, okay, do that. And then it says, then I would remain in the wilderness. And it's funny, the wilderness is a place where no water is. So where no water is, you're not going to have the, the fruit of the spirit. You're not going to have, uh, you know, uh, the fruit of investing the gospel in people. You're out in the middle of nowhere, just sad, right? And I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and tempest. Mm. So sometimes there are storms of consequence in our lives where we, we sin and, you know, we bring a storm into our own life. And God actually allows that storm. And so we think about Jonah, for example, right? And, uh, you know, literally he's, he's called to, to go to Nineveh to preach what was effectively at the time God's gospel to Nineveh. Just repent and I won't destroy you, right? That was the message. He just needed to go and say that. And uh, he says no. He gets on a boat. He's like, I'm just going to run away from the problem. That'll fix it. And you know what's funny about that? What it actually ended up doing is it actually ended up hurting all the other people on the boat, right? He's like, not only now was David suffering, everyone around him was suffering because he just said no to God. And he gets thrown off the boat, but 
when he cries out to God and calls on God, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We sometimes think about that only in a salvation context, and that's true, that is the context of that passage, but you see that all throughout Scripture. Cry out to God, he wants to help you. Psalm 107, multiple stories, all different kinds of situations, but then they call on God, and what does he do? He saves them. And man, and then the, the, the cyclical thing, how uh, it's the wonderful works of God towards the children of men. It keeps talking about that, right? Because, man, God just continually sees us getting ourselves in a rut. He picks us up. He takes us out. And then, man, isn't that wonderful what he does for us? And uh, in closing here, um, I want to briefly just mention the story of Elijah, who, um, you know, he was, he was victorious, but then the next day he was, he was all of a sudden sad. And here's this threat. We're not going to be able to read the story, but the thing that God tells him when he's feeling down, he just says, rise and eat. And then he's like, okay. And he gets up and eats. He says, no, rise and eat again. He tells him a second time, rise and eat again. And what you see in that, that, that story is it's a picture of us continually coming back to God's word. It's, con- it's returning to God's word to hear his truth again. And eventually, it's enough to get him on a journey for 40 days and 40 nights, which is a picture of, the, uh, of, of trials. So in other words, it was enough to keep him going through whatever trial he was in, just that he heard from the Lord. And so our last point in closing today is rise, draw nigh to God, and eat. God isn't done with you yet. So I'm going to say that one more time. Yeah, rise, draw nigh to God, and eat. God isn't done with you yet. All right, guys, I I hope that was a blessing to you. It was a blessing to me. Um, It's really easy to to hear... uh, you know, uh, whether it be our own flesh or, or, or Satan or uh, the world system coming against us, it's easy to get distracted and uh, to lose sight of who we are in Christ, what God has actually equipped us for, what he's actually called us to. Uh, I do want to thank uh, Adele for having me out. And yeah, it was just a blessing. And uh, I hope I get a chat with you, you guys too as we're just walking around and stuff too. So that's all I got for you today. Um, pray us out. Okay. Uh, Lord, um, you are holy. You are righteous, and God, if it were not for Jesus Christ, uh, you know, we would, be, we would be out of luck. But God, because Jesus Christ laid down his life for us while we were yet enemies of God, man, now we're no longer enemies of God. And we thank you for that. We thank you that we're now your friend. We're, 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 we're sons and daughters in your family. God, encourage our hearts and help us to stay the course and fight the good fight of faith. The enemy is going to keep on lying, but God, your word is readily available. Your word is nigh. It's it's right there if we would just reach out and grab it. Give us hope. Give us encouragement for the things that we're going to be facing in this life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.